You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson, starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Well, the outcome on Sunday did not change where the Seahawks finished in the standings. It did not change the fact that Seattle finished with a losing record. But 7-10 and and the way they closed out the season does change, I think, the way we feel about the 2021 Seahawks. Jen Mueller alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com. One final regular season edition, excuse me, of the Seahawks Insider Podcast. John, am I wrong on that? Am I wrong to think that a 38-30 win, which I think the score does not accurately describe what that game felt like, am I wrong to think that that changes what we felt for several weeks during the course of the season? No, I think it it does change things a little because you go from kind of that mid-season dip this team had offensively where it's really inconsistent and it's looking like things might be kind of really going the wrong direction and they're losing a lot of games. So you finish strong, you win four or six, two of those are against playoff wins. And to your point, that Arizona game, it's only as close as it is because you gave them 14 points on turnovers. And other than that, the Seahawks were very in control of the game. So yeah, I do think you feel better about kind of the overall makeup of this team, the direction it's going and the offense in particular. The thing that impressed me most about Sunday's game in Arizona was this. Seattle was down two plays into the game on the sack, strip, bumble, recovery, pick six, not even a pick six, scoop and score, right? Two plays into the game, you're down seven, nothing. And yet it never to me felt like you shouldn't have faith in this offense. I just, it was like the old Seahawks teams where you're like, yeah, they're going to get the ball and they're going to go down and score. Why did it feel like that on Sunday? You know, I, I just think it's really what we've been seeing the last couple weeks with this offense of they're, they're just functioning so much better. Everything, you know, you don't just have, I mean, yeah, you're not going to score every single drive, but they've been scoring a lot of drives. And I mean, the big thing that the coaches and players kept harping on that we've seen the last two weeks is they're converting on third down. They're staying on the field. What was it? Eight of 12 this past week or something like that. And they were over 50% the week before as well. So you know, they've had a lot of talent all year long. And once Russell Wilson started playing better, when that finger injury got a little more fully recovered, he arguably played two of his best games of the year the last two weeks. And just everything was functioning a lot higher level. Two questions for you on that. Did someone say something two weeks ago? Did someone say something to Russell Wilson? Did someone say something to Shane Waldron? I have been looking for this like aha moment where things started to click because it does look different and it looks different in the passes that Russ attempted. It looks different in what was available on those third down plays. Did someone say something that made this difference? Well, if they did, they didn't tell me and you about it, but yeah, I mean, they're always talking about it. They're always, you know, digging into it. And I'm sure that Chicago loss, you know, just like the fans that felt pretty bad. That was, a game, you know, you were still at least in theory in playoff contention and you lose that game. And, you know, it was really one you should have had. So I'm sure there were some pretty honest conversations after that one. And, you know, another game where third down wasn't great. And so, yeah, I, you know, I couldn't tell you specifics of what were said, but 
yeah, I, people are talking about it. They're figuring it out. And I, I, but more than anything, I just think it's, you know, a lot of his rust getting better, getting sharper. And that offense as a whole, you know, needing some time. It, it was, I think we've said this before, but it was, it was always going to take time with a new offensive coordinator to, to adjust. And then you take the quarterback out of the equation for a good stretch in the middle of the season that, that just slowed it down more. So some of it too, I think is just the extra time of that offense together. You know, I was so hoping that you had sources that I didn't have that it told you something I don't that I hadn't know been anything, able to figure Jen. out. I was just hoping. I was just fishing. I was just fishing. But here's my second question related to the finish of the season. Because as good as it feels to win back-to-back games, you won against a Detroit team that has, what, the third overall pick in the draft. You won against an Arizona team that has been slumping badly at the end of the season and slumping badly at home. They finish by losing five straight home games. So how much stock do you place in any of this? Is it more than just a feel-good finish? Yeah, I mean, the feel-good part of it is important, I think, just for guys' confidence, for anyone who's coming back next year to feel better about it. But yeah, I mean, look, teams are slumping in – like you mentioned, the the Cardinals haven't been at their best, but there's still a lot of talent on that team. They still won 11 games. The Lions, their record's terrible, but they've, I mean, they won their last game. They've played everybody tough, really, with the exception of that game against the Seahawks. And the 49ers, who you beat in December, they're a team that finished strong to get to the playoffs. So I, I don't tend to, I mean, look, not all teams are equal in the NFL, but there's a lot more parity than I think people want to realize between the bad teams and the good teams. And I I think when you hang 50 on a team and blow a team out, that's a good accomplishment no matter what their record. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. We're going to hear from Pete in just a second. But that point about Detroit, so, you know, the the final schedule was set for next year as far as opponents. We won't know dates for another couple of months. And you look, and the Seahawks are playing Detroit again. And on the surface, you're like, well, that's a nice, easy schedule. And then I remember the conversation you and I had, John. There's a lot of talent that did not see the field this year for Detroit because of their injuries. That, quite honestly, is a team that I don't I don't think I want to see next year. I, I, I don't yeah, think that's I mean, going to be a good matchup. I mean, they lo- yeah, they won three of their last six games. They lost another close game, a couple, two really close games before that. They had a tie before that. I mean, really since they're by, they've either won or been in every single game except the loss to the Seahawks, and they lost pretty bad to Denver. But otherwise, they went half a season of being a three, four, and one team with a bunch of close losses. I mean, that's... Well, and I wonder how much of that too. So you had a new head coach this year who also took over play calling duties. They just relieved their offensive coordinator of his duties, which you could see coming when Dan Campbell took over. I wonder how much of that is just everybody settling in much like in Seattle. Not that we need to talk about the lions anymore, but you talk about the way the Seahawks finished the season. Pete Carroll said earlier this week that if this season were continuing, the Seahawks are not a team that anybody else would want to face because of what they have done the last couple of weeks. And overall, he says the message to the fans should be overall positive. We were able to, to see the team that we can, we can become and, uh, uh, over the course of this year. And, and uh, we didn't get other things done, but we did, we did see that. And... Um, I told them today, like I remember telling 
uh, Cam and Sherm and those guys when they were in here years ago, that this is, in this room right now, is the nucleus of a championship team that we'll add to and, and, and you know, we'll, we'll bring in and, and support, but the guys in this room are the guys that are going to make this happen. And, and uh, that's, that's, that's what it feels like. And we should be excited about it. We should be, you know, I am. I'm excited about the chances of coming back and playing cleaner, sharper, uh, more physical football than, than we did this year more consistently. Yeah, and I mean, the thing we keep hearing Pete Carroll harp on over this stretch is the running game. And when they run the ball like that, you're not going to necessarily run for 200 every game. But when you're running it that well, it, it's opening up more of the offense. You're finally evening out that time possession. And that's where when Pete Carroll says, I don't think anybody wants to play us. I do not think a playoff team right now would want to see that hot running game with Rashad Penny rolling like he is plus a pass rush that's finally heating up. And that's something we can talk more about that Pete Carroll maybe wants to see improve over the offseason. But in terms of what was going well lately, that's those two things are a big part of the formula for a winning Seahawks team. You know, I was listening to Pete and my question to you was going to be, can this be a championship caliber team without Rashad Penny? Can it? Yes. But I think you may, you need to, whether, you know, we don't know exactly when Chris Carson will be back and what his health will be like going forward. But even if he is back and healthy, we've seen that depth is so important at that position. I mean, Marshawn, people got spoiled watching Marshawn Lynch for all these years, not just because how good he is, but he never got hurt until late in the CF career. And that is so, so rare with an NFL running back. I mean, Pete Carroll's asked about that. And unfortunately, he pointed to it's rare except a guy like Derrick Henry. And then like a week later, Derrick Henry hurt himself and was put on IR. So it's just so hard for a lead running back to stay healthy. So I, I think having a shot penny back is huge and they're going to make an effort to do that. And I think there's a good chance it happens. But if you don't, you need to go out and either draft somebody who's reliable or sign somebody because I just don't think you can go into a season without, you know, not just a bunch of running backs, but like multiple guys who can carry the load as a lead back type. It is a good draft class for running backs. I would not mind adding depth there, but I also going back to something that you said, it took a while for this offense to come together with a new offensive coordinator. I really don't know how many pieces I want to change unless you have identified a, a, a position or a spot that look, it just has to be upgraded. And while you are definitely going to make some personnel moves just by virtue of how free agency is going to work and choices that guys are going to make, I don't, I don't really want to see them make any other changes. I do want to see them. And John, this is something that everybody said. And even Pete said this, come back and have a regular normal off season with OTAs. How much would that have helped this year? I mean, we heard it from some players. I, I don't know. It's always hard to quantify like, okay, would they have been no, this many points better converted these third downs? And, but it would have helped. I mean, you missed a lot of potential time on the field. I do think, you know, the flip side, of that was a benefit to the young guys who got the extra work. So it helps some of those young guys be ready. And, you know, maybe a Jake Curran isn't as good starting down the stretch if he didn't get that extra time. But yeah, and we heard it from Ethan Postig, we heard it from some other guys. I think particularly with an offensive line that, yes, having that extra time would have made a difference. Well, and it was one of the only times that we got to look at Eskridge was early, not OTAs necessarily, but he came in, he did some, some look, he did enough to get our interest peaked and to get really excited. And then he wasn't a part of this offense for such a long time as he dealt with injuries. And it had people wondering if he was going to be a bust, which by the way, 
far too early to be having that conversation or making those decisions, especially when Pete's seen what he saw from the rookie. Without hesitation, he's going to be a really impactful player. I don't have any hesitation in saying that. He's, he's, he's got he's got so much going for him, and, and he's so such a talented kid and a good worker and all of that, that uh, when we come back around, it's going to look so much different to him. You know, the jump that the guys make from year one to year two is the most significant jump for the most part. I was talking to Daryl about that last night, you know, that just how things are going to look so much different to him. And, and uh, the day that they, they walk back in, you know, and get back with us, you know, it's just they jump so much, and, and uh, D. Eskridge is going to make a huge jump, and he's going to be a very impactful player. We'll get him involved in the kicking game more so. Um, you know, we worked with him all year on that. And we didn't, weren't quite ready to really uh, feature him, his, his opportunity there, but um, he can run it, he can catch it, and he block, and, uh, and he's got a great work ethic, so there's nothing holding him back. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all hoping that he would come in and be that you know number three guy behind – Lockett and Metcalf, and that's in today's NFL, you need that because everybody's getting better at pass defense and they can take one or two guys away. So it, it was disappointing. The injuries took their toll on him and he didn't make the impact that fans and the Seahawks were hoping to see. But we saw enough glimpses. The talent is obviously there. As Pete Carroll said, that year two jump tends to be a big one. And Daryl Taylor was a great example, although his year one was kind of non existent. So he was almost a rookie. But yeah, it's a. Uh, I think we can count on seeing a lot more of D. Eskridge and hopefully he starts turning into the player they want him to be. Yeah, the thing that is most evident is his speed. It makes me yeah. laugh when Pete says we're getting him involved in the kicking game. Of course, what Pete is saying is the return game, right? Oh, you I, thought, I thought Dallas he was going to be kicking <laughs> extra points. And right. Freddie Swain returning putts, and it just makes me laugh because I, I envision D. Eskridge lining up, yeah, for actual kicks. I mean, maybe um, he can do it. I don't know. He's a pretty I, good athlete. You know I wouldn't what, rule though? it out. And I don't want to go too much into this because I want to hear what Pete had to say about Russ in just a second. But I do want to say if you add some speed there and we saw Travis Homer return a kick for a touchdown. It was an onside kick, right? (laughs) So there's one little asterisk and caveat there. And it's not that I don't like what I've seen from Freddie Swain on punts. And it's not that I don't like DJ Dallas on kicks. But if you add that element of speed and elusiveness that we know D has, boy, that would be something that we haven't, we haven't seen a combination like that back there in a long time. And and I do think that that makes a big difference. Yeah, I mean, those guys you mentioned, they're they're both very solid and they've both had some nice returns, especially DJ's had some big kick returns, but they don't necessarily have that home run every time they touch the ball potential that, you know, we saw early in Tyler Lockett's career and then you go all the way back Leon to Washington. Leon Washington yeah. and for a brief spell, Percy Harvin, those guys who yeah. just, it's, you know, the opposing special teams is thinking about like, oh, geez, do we want to kick them the ball? Like, they plan around them and that's, yeah. those guys are rare in the NFL and with kick returns in particular, you don't get a ton of chances at it. But yeah, it'd be it'd be fun to have somebody like D.S. Ridge back there. Yeah, there are some rarefied talents and players on the Seahawks roster, despite having a down year. The win on Sunday against Arizona was a record-setting one for Russell Wilson. The one that Russ said meant the most to him. He surpassed Peyton Manning for the most wins in the first 10 seasons of a quarterback's career. Really impressive stuff. And I guess it shouldn't surprise us, given how strong he finished the end of the season. I thought he was at his best at the end. I thought he really played his best football you know, down the stretch. He was more more resourceful. I mean, he had a really good game yesterday, moving to find to find the third down conversions um, and, and connecting with guys. 
made the big plays, um, took off running, you know, and made a, a terrific touchdown run. Um, I, I just thought he's at his best in, in, in the last few weeks, and maybe that's you know that's you know he, it, it, it's significant in recognizing that you know that he was probably is I'm sure every day from this point forward he's going to feel better and better and better and put put you know the the surgery and all that behind him, which he already has, but he, but um, it'll just be farther in the past and, and it'll be less of a factor in any way. So um, I was really excited for, for the finish. And, you know, this goes to the whole theme of the offense, how much better it looked. A, a lot of that's going to fall on the quarterback, good and bad. When they were struggling after, while Russell Wilson was gone and when he came back, it was the quarterback play was a factor there. And a lot of that was on Russ and – you know, again, there's a lot of factors, the injury, the time he missed, everything else. But you start seeing him look like his old self again. And all of a sudden, yeah, that offense is humming and you start feeling a lot better. Again, we not everyone can be back every year. But if you bring back a good portion of this offense, you feel a lot better about it after the last two games. What we saw from the offense, what we saw from Russ, than you might have if we were having this conversation in November. And while winning helps you end the season on a high note, it does not dismiss the fact that there are things that need to get better with this team. Offensively and defensively, Pete knows this. Pete knows that they are going to address this. It might not happen right away. We might not see how this plays out until training camp, but there are definitely two areas that he wants to see some big improvement next year. Well, I want to make sure that uh, all of the guys that are with us, you know, that we, we get our team back together, and which is, you know, the effort going through uh, free agency. That we want to make sure that we, you know, we're able to reconnect with our guys and get them back on our roster, and, and so we can build with continuity. That that's that's an important part. But we need to improve our pass rush. You know, that's that's an area that we we need to get better. You you saw that how dynamic it is when you get going like we did uh, yesterday. Um, but we didn't have that consistency, and, and that's an important part of it. Um, so many things feed off of that. You know, it's the disruption of the quarterback that, that leads to all the issues, you know, on the positive side for the defense. And so we got to, whatever we can do, we have, we have to work there. And uh, so that, that's, that's one of the, the, the focal points for me. And I, I really want to make sure that we're able to uh, continue to push our guys, you know, with people that are added to the program, push our receivers, push our running backs, and, and make those positions and continue to be really competitive across the board. But in those spots, you know, I'd love to be able to add a guy here and a guy there. So we'll see how it goes. Pete covered a lot there. He wants to keep as many of their guys as they can, add guys to compete, which you always want. But I think the big thing that jumps out is what he said about the pass rush. We've, we've seen this for the last two years now of, you know, slow start for the pass rush. It gets going late and the defense looks different, looks a lot better. So, you're, you know, there's free agency decisions to make there. You know, Rasheem Green has really finished this year strong and, you got to remember too, he's young, he's 24 years old still. So he's a guy that maybe has more value in free agency because of his age. So you got to decide on him. You've got, you know, just a lot of tough decisions to make all over. They have a lot of pretty important players who are heading into the final year or in the final year of their deal right now who can hit the open market. So when Pete talks about retaining guys, they got a lot of decisions to make. When you talk about improving the pass rush, do they need a big name? And I'm just going to throw a guy like Chandler Jones out there, right? Who is consistently putting up double digit sacks. Is it about getting a big name, like one guy to be just a terror? Or is it about improving the depth so that your rotation stays stronger and is in more productive top to bottom? I mean, both sound great, but yeah, I, <laughs> it's hard to say. 
<laughs> is Chandler Jones a free agent or are you just throwing out a hypothetical? I was just throwing out names. Okay. I was going to say, we if just you just saw get, him. If, yeah. If you could get him, it's a bonus because you also take away like four right. or five sacks of Russell Wilson. Yes. So, uh, yeah. But no, it's, I mean, if you can go out and get that big name guy, I think that those guys help your depth. I mean, you can, that's the thing about when you get that game changing guy the rest of your guys get better. So a guy who's maybe a three sack depth guy, all of a sudden, I mean, we've seen this at the Rams over and over. How many edge rushers go to the Rams and just feast because teams have half their line blocking Aaron Donald. So I, you know, I would love to see it if, if the money's there, but again, you go back to that conversation of, yeah, the six have a lot of cap space right now, but are you going to, are you willing to give up a, a Quandre Diggs or DJ Reed or whoever it is? to go get that pass rusher. I, I don't know, you know, I'm not a cap guy. Obviously I'm not making those decisions, but yeah, if you can add one big name guy, I think that helps the depth out just by making everybody around a better. I think you also have to decide what front you're going to play. Yeah. They did sure. change things during the middle of the year. And I'm not saying that they were wrong to change it, but I do think that depends if you're going to play your bare front, or if you're going to go back to playing more of a four, three style, that makes a difference because it, it that, First of all, it dictates your personnel, but it also affects those numbers. And how are you going to use Jamal Adams? Is he going to be, you know, the guy that's in the box that you're going to send on the safety blitz more often or and kind of take some of the load off of those traditional pass rushers? Or do you want everything coming off the front? I think that there's a lot of philosophical and scheme things that need to get decided that go into the conversation about who do you get? For sure. And I think those are the conversations the coaching staff needs to have first before you you know, you settle out the schematic and all that before you make all those decisions, but it can go both ways because depending on who you're able to get and who you're able to retain, that could come back around and change how you do things philosophically. So it's a sort of a chicken and the egg thing. Well, and you tried to pin down Pete on what exactly happens during the postseason and what the process is. I, I love tried, this. I tried. Tried. <laughs> We are both laughing. It was a valiant effort. And I think a valiant effort on Pete's part to describe what happens. But I, I don't know. You guys are going to have to be the judge of this on your own. What the process is, is for us to, to uh, when we get back going again, is to take all the information that we've accumulated, all of the numbers and the stats and uh, all of the, the, the printouts that we have to tell us all of the background. And, and uh, we'll, we'll go through everything to how much they were able to practice and uh, time missed and, and all of that, reps, uh, who they matched up against, and all of that stuff to just make individual evaluations on each guy. We really go, uh, both sides of the ball will go uh, watch individual uh, cut-ups of each guy as an entire staff um, so that we can kind of make a collective you know, uh, evaluation. And, and we have the presentation of their statistics that support all of that, and we'll try to make a real clear evaluation of where the guy sits you know, at that point. And then, of course, we compare the other guys that are there and, uh, and start to put together a whole, uh, you know, a whole program of understanding our guys better than we've ever have. And so um, that, that's, we, it's an exhaustive process for us, and, and we go through it with the intent of figuring out what we can do to help that guy be better. That was a great answer about how they kind of evaluate players in the offseason, which is useful. It wasn't necessarily what I was trying to ask, and I'll blame myself for asking the question poorly. I, I was, what I was trying to get at a little more is sort of we – I don't think fans always have an understanding of what happens between the season-ended Sunday and free agency starts in March and the draft is in April. Just sort of the 
what the evaluation process of the whole thing from coaches to what we talked about was scheme. So I was getting it a little more of sort of the, the timeline of how it all looks from them, from their standpoint, but Hey, we got a cool answer on, on how they look at players and compare them to players around the league for free agency and all those different things. He said that it is an exhaustive process to me. I'm listening going, that is exhausting. Like how many pages do you think that they are going through of the information? It's like a teacher that finishes up the last day of school. And then you find out that you have to grade like dissertations for 30 people or something like that. Yeah. That's why you, you got to have a good and a deep pro personnel staff. I, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I think a lot of fans don't understand. They think of scouting as college guys and like, mm, okay, yep. we watch a lot of college and watch for the draft, but there's a whole separate group of guys who their job is to know everybody in the NFL, who's a free agent, who might be a free agent, who's the potential to get cut, to get traded. And then you're comparing them. You're looking at, okay, if this guy suddenly becomes available, this cornerback, where does he rank against our cornerbacks? So there's a, there's a whole separate side of it of the pro personnel guys that are really just keeping an eye on the entire NFL. And this year we're talking about, the off season when we would like to be talking about the postseason, John, yeah. we're almost done with this episode, but I do want to point out that of the teams that made the playoffs this year, half are new. So half of the teams that were in the playoffs in 2020 failed to make the playoffs this year. There are seven teams that are in the playoffs now that didn't make it last year. And if you look at those numbers, the teams that made it this year instead of last year, most of them finished either third or fourth in their division. This is not an accident or an anomaly. When you do that, you play an easier schedule. Like things just out differently. So Knowing that and knowing the cyclical nature, what's the likelihood you place on Seattle rebounding and having us postpone our final podcast next year by a few weeks? I mean, look, I, I'm not a betting person, but if I were, I like to see chances a lot to be back in the postseason. I think I, they've got stuff to do. They need to improve in certain areas. Like we talked about, I, I think their pass rush needs to be better. There's areas they need to get deeper, but I think this is even with the flaws they had, if you're healthy at quarterback and the offense continues to kind of develop through that stretch instead of losing Russell Wilson, I think this is probably a team that maybe wins 10 or so games and makes the playoffs. And look, maybe it's still not good enough to get to a Super Bowl as it was constructed, but it's a better team. It, they, had a, they had a positive point differential with a 7-10 record. You've got multiple teams with losing point differentials in the postseason. They you know, there's a lot of metrics. DVOA, they're the number eight team in the NFL. And I know a lot of six fans love DVOA because they were the four-time number one DVOA team a while back. So there's a lot of good things going on with this team. You know, the 0-5 record in three-point games, you win two or three of those, it's a different story. So I don't think it's nearly as far as a lot of fans do from this being a being back to a playoff team contending for that NFC West title. Well, that's good because I don't like sitting at home on playoff no, weekends. It's not fun. I, I will be cheering though for teams. Last thing before we go, who are you cheering for to make it to the to the Super Bowl and win? Ultimately win the Super Bowl. It's hard. Um I don't I mean, think it's that hard. I'm just gonna I, throw this out there. I I'm, don't I think just, it's this hard. I might just root for the Raiders for KJ Wright. But I, that yes. might be it. I don't yes. I mean there's when I, I probably will root against all the NFC West teams. I'm petty like that, but beyond that, I don't, you know, so yes, it's hard for me to get behind anybody in the NFC. I'm not going to lie. 
I, I was just about to say, I don't think this is a hard choice. Yes, we're cheering for KJ and the Raiders. And then I'm going to cheer for Kansas City. I will not be cheering for any NFC team. And maybe it's because I'm petty. I don't know. Maybe I'm overly competitive. I will not be cheering for any NFC team. It's just the way it's going to go. There you go. Well, you'll know what I'm doing when I'm sitting on the couch with my mimosas for the next couple of weekends. Cheering for every AFC team and wishing that we could do a weekly podcast again. But John Boyle, how about if we do this around, I don't know, the draft? Sure. Maybe like rookie mini camps or something like that. Whenever we want to do it, I'm ready. Perfect. Probably doesn't realize how much I like to talk or talk about football, but you guys do. And we thank you so much for being with us all season long. We have enjoyed it. We will be back with you next time with more Seahawks Insiders podcasts. 